right, guys, so if you would, let's open up to the book of Genesis chapter 26 today. We're going to continue studying this amazing book. Um, it's funny how you can look at a chapter in Scripture and, and the first time through you, you think, you know, there's really, there's really nothing there. You know, how am I going to preach this and how am I going to convey this to a modern day audience and then what God always does is he begins to show me these, these deeper spiritual truths and these principles that are in the text that I think, uh, to me, that spoke volumes to me and I hope will encourage you today as well. Is, is the title of my message today, and you're, you're going to see kind of how all this is connected, is how to spiritually thrive in a dry season of life, in a dry season of life. How many of you guys have ever been out to the desert, been out west? Um, Beautiful, the, 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 uh, the West, um, Arizona, Rocky Mountains, Colorado, New Mexico, that whole area out there is just, God was, God was having a good day when he made those places. Um, it's just a beautiful place, but the one thing that becomes very evident coming from the deep south where we have so much rain and humidity and those kind of things is that um, water is, is pretty scarce out West, right? It's, it's so dry. Um, very infrequent rain, and so water is, is at an optimum premium, um, you know, level for everybody that lives out west. They know and they understand how valuable that, that water is. Um, many of you know that my wife and I, Abby, we had a chance to take a trip this uh, June out west, and we had the privilege to hike um, into, basically, it's the very south west rim of the Grand Canyon, but there's an Indian reservation down in the canyon. Um, it's called the Havasupe Indian Reservation, and you have to go through this whole process to be able to get passes and permits to go down there and camp, and it's a, it's a beautiful oasis in the middle of the desert, and I, I wish I had more time to share with you just all the beautiful and amazing things that we experienced while we were down there, but one of the things that we learned very quickly is that we got to the top of the, of the trailhead, and it was 49 degrees. And we're thinking, man, this is going to be great. You know, perfect temperature. We're about to hike. We had to hike 10 miles. It was actually 12 miles to get to our campsite. 10 miles to the village and another two miles to get to our campsite. And we're carrying these heavy backpacks. And what do you think is the most important thing that we took down there with us? We had to have some water. But we're thinking, this is going to be fine. You know, it's not too hot. It feels great. But we go down 2,500 feet in elevation by the time we get down into the canyon, and this is early morning, and it went from 49 degrees to the, till about 10 o'clock in the morning, it was about 95 degrees. And, you, and you, have no, you have no escape from the sun. There's nowhere to go. There's no shade. You're, you're trying to find every little bit of shade that you can possibly find. And we both had probably about a gallon of water each that we carried down there between camelbacks and we had a bladder here and a, a water bottle here and and you're trying to you're trying to pace yourself because you again you don't want to drink all your water on the front end and knowing it's going to continue to get tougher as you go and guys by the time we got we were about 3 2 or 3 miles out from the village and we were we were really struggling I'm going to be honest with you we were struggling and we sat down on a rock and we were running out of water. And I knew, I was like, we, we have a, a good ways to go. We, we only had like maybe one water bottle left between the two of us. And I promise you, I kid you not, we're sitting down on a rock. We're just trying to get any kind of relief that we can. And here come the crows. And they start circling us. And literally the crows come and land on the rocks right next to us. And I'm thinking, yeah. They know exactly what's about to happen. I mean, to them, we were their next meal. They were like, we're just waiting for these two, these two idiots to, to die off so that we can have our next meal because we must have looked that bad. We were so dehydrated. We were so hot. And I can tell you, at that moment, and this is, this is what I want you to understand, at that very moment, we're sitting there in the middle of the desert. We're running out of water. We're overheated. We're dehydrated. We're exhausted. You could have come in there that day and put a, 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 a box of $10 million right there in front of me, and that would have done me what? No good. All the money in the world at that moment wouldn't have helped me a bit. You could have put a pot of gold in front of me. You could have put the biggest, nicest, juiciest 
steak and the best steak that you've ever imagined to eat. Did anybody want to eat a steak at that time? Wouldn't have done me any good, right? You could have brought me more clothes, better shoes. You could have, you could have done anything. You could have brought me anything else in the world. Nothing in the world was more valuable at that moment than what? Than water. The sustenance of life. Water at that moment was the most valuable thing in the world to us because we were what? Thirsty. We were thirsty. And I want to just ask you today, if that you've been, maybe you are now, maybe you've come out of, or maybe you're going into, I don't know, we, we, we have these, these seasons, these spiritual seasons of life. And many times we find ourselves in a dry season. We find ourselves in a, in a season of life where it's like you're, you're in the desert and things are, are rough and, and it's hot and you're isolated and you're alone and you're in danger and it's dry and you don't. And here's the thing. When you're in a dry season of life, the biggest thing I think that, that, that's the most difficult to accept is that God feels like he's a million miles And I want to I want to challenge you and encourage you today that what do you do when you find yourself in that dry season? Because just like seasons come and go in throughout the year, you know, we're, we're in the middle of the summer, but fall's coming around the, the corner. Right. Thank goodness. We get to look forward to the next season. It's all cyclical. Our lives go through seasons. Right. You're born. You're kind of in the spring season of your life. You grow into the young years of your life. It's kind of like the summer season as you begin to age. You're entering that autumn season of life. And then, of course, by the time that you eventually die, it's like the winter season. It's like it, it, our lives itself, themselves, represent these different seasons of life. But throughout our lives and our journey, we'll go through these cyclical spiritual seasons of life. And I know many of you probably can identify with this, but sometimes you feel like you're on the what? Mountaintop. And then sometimes you feel like you're in the what? You're in the valley. And I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason as to what gets us on the mountaintop and what gets us in the valley. But I think that today what you're going to see in this passage of scripture is I think there is a remedy. I think there is a there is something we can do to not just spiritually survive the dry season. You see, when we were on that rock in the in the canyon and we were dehydrated, we were just trying to what? survive seriously like we just gotta we gotta make it to the village or we're not going to make it like we just want to survive there were people that passed by us like nobody's business of course they weren't trying to carry 50 pounds of weight on their back either that was that was lesson number one that we learned that we made a mistake by trying to carry too much weight but there were people that weren't just surviving out in that desert they were what they were thriving they were moving they felt good they passed us and didn't even blink an eye so I do think that there's something to be learned here in this passage of Scripture, not just how to spiritually survive the dry seasons of your life when you find yourself in that dry season, but I want, to know, I want you to know how to thrive, how to thrive and to get yourself through that. So here we are in Genesis chapter 26. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn there. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to hit some highlights for you. Um, so what you have in verses um, 6 through 11 is interesting because the, fir the first thing you need to know is that there's a famine in the land, okay? There was a famine in Abraham's day that was severe. He had to go to Egypt. There was a famine in Isaac's day that was severe. God said, don't go to Egypt, but I want you to go to the Philistines, to Philistia, okay? Um, and then we know later in the book of Genesis, there's also a, a severe famine in the days of Joseph. And we know that God, of course, saves his people by sending Joseph into Egypt, which was the way that God ended up saving the, the children of Israel during that severe famine. I think famines were very much more common during this time of history, and there's one reason I believe that that was is that what we're looking at here, the time of Abraham and Isaac are just several hundred years removed from the what? Does anybody know? The flood. You see, they're not that far removed from the global flood. I believe what happened 
during the flood is that you have a catastrophic event that, that affected the whole earth. We probably had polar shifts, magnetic shifts. We know that the, the atmosphere had to be affected in some way. And so after the global flood occurred, the climate was definitely, what's the, what's the popular word today? Climate what? Climate change. The climate was definitely changing after the global flood. It took years and years and years, probably centuries, for the climate to stabilize so that you didn't have these drastic drops in temperature and elevations in temperature. And there was probably an ice age or a lot of snow and ice in different parts of the world at this time. So there's a lot of reasons why there could be famines during the days of Abraham. And I think that that's what's going on here in the days of Isaac. So when we say a famine, I mean, we're talking about a severe famine. What are people trying to do in a famine? They're trying to what? Survive. They're just trying to find the basic sustenance of life, food and water. Okay, so that's the first thing you need to understand. And so Isaac takes his family, his household. Again, Abraham was a very wealthy, blessed man. He had many servants. He had many sheep and cattle and all these kind of things. Isaac inherited all of that, and he became even more wealthy, so he's doing pretty well. But there's a famine in the land, and so the Lord says, I want you, don't go to Egypt, but I do want you to go to the land of Philistia. Okay? And so that's what happens in the first uh, verses 6 through 11. And, it, and like father, like son, I, for whatever reason, Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah, and said that she was his what? Sister. Pharaoh ended up taking her into his um, harem or whatever, and God warned them in a, in, in a dream. And, and, made, and she, he finally, he eventually found out that it was his wife. Abraham was afraid that they were going to kill him and take his wife. That, Isaac comes down to Philistia. There's, there's a, a king there named Abimelech. He does the very same thing. He tells them, this is my sister. Um, you know, you can look at that several different ways, what's really going on there. But ultimately, Abimelech finds out that it was his wife, and he's like, why are you doing this? You know, one of us could have taken this, your wife as, as their wife, and, you know, um, and he made a, um, a, a royal decree. He said, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So, so God was protecting them through this time in Philistia, and this was, again, during this time of famine. Okay, so look with me here in verse 12. We're just going to kind of pick up right here in Genesis 26. So verse 12 talks about how Isaac was in the land and he reaped a hundredfold that year. So God was blessing him. Now remember, we're in the middle of a famine. People don't reap a hundredfold in a famine. So it was a very unique situation that Isaac is, is being favored and blessed by God. He became more rich, very wealthy is what it says. So he had all of these possessions and flocks and herds. And it says in verse 14 that the Philistines envied him envy now i like to say this because i think it's important do you know there's a difference between jealousy and envy you see god is what kind of a god he's a jealous god we think when we say jealous we think what we're really thinking is what envious but god one of his attributes is that he's jealous for his people what does it mean to be jealous? Jealous is, is that you have something, you lose that something, and you want it back. God has a relationship with us. He had a relationship with his people. He lost his people in the sense they turned their back on him. They went to chase other gods, and God became what? Jealous. He said, I want my people back to me. That's what jealousy means. Envy is different. Envy is when you don't have something that somebody else has and you don't want them to have it. You want it and you don't want them to what? To have it. That's what envy is. So the Philistines are looking at Isaac. They don't have a hundredfold blessing in their, in their fields. They don't have all of these sheep and cattle and blessings from God. So they're looking at Isaac and they're saying they want what he's got. Not only do they want it, but they don't want him to have it either. So there's this spirit of envy that begins to develop among the Philistines over Isaac and his blessings. So look at what it says in verse uh, 15. It says, The Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham. And finally, Abimelech told Isaac, he said, Hey, you just got to leave. Just go. You're becoming too powerful. You're becoming too great for us. We don't care where you go. Just you can't stay here. Right? 
And so he kicks Isaac and his, and his whole family, the house of, of uh, Jacob, I'm sorry, the house of Isaac, he kicks them out of Philistia, all right? And so you begin to read now in verses 17 down through about 22, where they leave and they begin to dig again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, um, because again, the Philistines had stopped up the wells. Now remember, we're in a time of famine. There's a time of spirit, there's a time of drought. What's the most important thing for Isaac and his people at this time? It's water. He has plenty of flocks, plenty of herds, plenty of money, plenty of servants, but if they don't find water, what's going to happen to all of them? They're going to die. None of that stuff matters until they find this one essential source of water. And so they're having to go back through and dig out these wells again. And then they go through, and I'm just going to summarize for you, they go and they begin digging other wells to find water again because they're trying to support a large, this is like a city on wheels. This is like a city of people, probably thousands of people who are moving nomadically through the desert. Okay, so you need a lot of water to water that many people, sheep and cattle and things like that, right? Not to mention cooking and cleaning and all the other things you have to do. So water is essential. And so not only do they uh, dig back the wells that were filled in with dirt, but then they begin to dig new wells, and the Philistines dispute with them over the wells. And every time they dispute with them, Isaac says, okay, I'm not going to fight you over it. I'm just going to go and try to find another place to dig. And finally, he gets to the place where he has room, and he digs a well there in Rehoboth, and he says, finally, God has given room to us so that we can be fruitful in the land. Okay? So that's just kind of setting the context for this whole passage of Scripture. So the thing I want to share with you first today is everybody goes through dry seasons, okay, of what I call spiritual drought. Maybe it took everything you had to get up and just drag yourself in here today. If you're that person, I commend you. Maybe you're in that season right now, spiritual drought. You don't feel like God is close. You don't feel like God is listening to you. You don't feel like coming to church. You don't feel like reading your Bible. You haven't prayed in weeks, maybe months. But for whatever reason, if you, if you made an effort to get up and come today, I believe God has a message for you. I believe there's a reason why you're here. Because we all go through these seasons of spiritual drought. And here's what usually is defined by a spiritual drought. We're going to face difficulty. Okay? We're going to be discouraged. Discouragement. And then we're going to find ourselves being what? Distant from God. Okay? These are what I think are the primary characteristics of what it feels like or what you're going through when you're going through a spiritual drought. Now, how can these spiritual droughts, these dry seasons of our life, how are they brought about into our lives? Well, sometimes it's the difficulty that we face that brings about this spiritual drought because what happens is, is that we get overwhelmed with life. And, and, and we begin to experience challenges and trials and problems and struggles and our circumstances it's like we can't get one thing fixed before something else breaks we can't have one bad day before we have another day of bad news it's like these circumstances and what happens guys and this happens in my life and it happens in your life is that we will let the circumstances and the difficulties in our lives become bigger than who than God and it's all about our perspective. It's all about what we choose to focus on. I'm guilty of it too. And so you maybe have trouble with your relationships. Maybe it's your marriage that's struggling. Maybe you're having trouble with your children. Maybe you're having trouble with your siblings or your extended family. It could be stress, financial stress, all of these things. Maybe you're having problems at work. Maybe you don't have a job right now. Maybe you're struggling to find work. Maybe you're having physical sickness. It, all of these things can be these difficulties that we become overwhelmed with, and then we start to focus on those difficulties, on those circumstances, and then over time we look up and we're finding ourselves in a spiritually dry season. Where's God? Why don't I feel him? Why do I feel anxious, anxious or angry or depressed or discouraged? 
Well, sometimes it's because of these circumstances in our life. And again, it's all about our perspective. But that's not the only way we can find ourselves in, in times of spiritual drought or, or, or a dry season. We can also be under attack. Now, I want you to think about what's happening here in Isaac's life. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just being blessed by God. The Philistines became envious of him. Matter of fact, that's one of the primary characteristics of Satan himself is that he became what? Envious. I want what God's got. I deserve to be worshipped like God. See, that envy in Satan's heart is what really motivated him, I believe, to rebel and to cross the line, to, to reject God ultimately and to, and to um, choose to uh, put himself up against God as his, as his adversary. So this envy of the Philistines pr uh, provoked them to attack Isaac and his herds and his flocks because they knew that if they were having to leave, which they were told to leave, they would need what? Water. And what did these Philistines go around and do? They fill in all the wells. They're, they're personally attacking Isaac and his household. And that's the way that we are sometimes as well. You see, you see, today, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, if you're somebody today that has a relationship with the Lord, okay, you are a marked man. You are. You are a target. You see, as long as you're on the fence or you're, or you're in the world, Satan, the enemy, our, the evil one, the one who is in control of this world in a sense, he's, he's the ruler over this world system, as long as you're riding the fence or maybe you're living out in the world, you are of no concern to him. You're not a what? Threat. You're not a threat to him. But the minute that you say, yes, Jesus, I do, I want to love and serve and follow you, and you step across that line, and now you are committed to following Jesus Christ as his disciple, all of a sudden, you are a what? You're a threat. And Satan will mark you and target you. I'm not telling you that to scare you, because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So God's got you. Okay, he's, he's protect, he will protect and provide and help you through all of the spiritual attacks. But we need to understand that sometimes we find ourselves in a spiritually dry season or a spiritual drought of our life is because we have just been marked out by Satan and he's coming at us with every single blow that he can. He's throwing darts at us. He's whispering lies to us. He's attacking our family. He's coming to bring division among the church, among your family, among your relationships. He's doing everything. He's trying to lead you into temptation. He's doing all of these things he can possibly do. And sometimes that attack can become so overwhelming or we can give in to his temptations or whatever it may be that we will find ourselves in a spiritual dry season. We'll find ourselves discouraged distant from God. That's what was happening to Isaac and his household. And then sometimes, if we're honest, and I'm not so sure if this isn't more common than we're willing to admit, sometimes we find ourselves in a dry season because we brought that upon ourselves. We get lazy we get complacent, we start coasting, we start compromising. You know, one little sin here is not going to hurt. A couple little sins here and there, God's not going to mind that. And then over time, we start coasting and compromising, becoming spiritual lazy. We start, we start, you know, becoming apathetic, or maybe we start, you know, dabbling in the world a little bit or giving in to some of those temptations and the, the desires of the flesh or whatever it may be. And because of this, here's, what we, here's the picture I want you to see, okay? When we give in to that, when we give in to sin, when we allow our flesh to control and, and rule over us, and we're, we're bringing these um, consequences, these sinful choices are bringing these consequences into our life, it's like taking, if your heart is supposed to be the well of the Holy Spirit, and it's supposed to be like the water, like the living water, a well of living water springing up from within us, well, that sin is like taking a bucket of dirt and dumping it right there on your heart. And it just quenches that spirit. And then you look up one day, 
and you don't feel close to God. But you really don't have anybody to blame but who? But yourself. As a matter of fact, and I think it's very, very true, is that when we feel distant from God, I promise you, he has not moved. He has not moved. So that means who's moved? Somehow, some way, we've drifted. It's like the song we're going to sing today at the end, Come Thou Fount. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We drift. Sometimes we just run away. Whatever it may be. But those are the reasons that we will find ourselves in these spiritual dry seasons where we feel the discouragement and we feel the distance from God. So, but the thing I want to tell you is this, is that no matter what the cause is to that spiritual dry season in your life, here's where we got to be careful. Is that, and I, I look at my own life, is that we are creatures of habit, aren't we? And when we face times of stress or difficulty or we're, we're feeling spiritually distant from God, if we're not careful, we will revert back to the things that we have always done. What's your coping mechanism? You don't have to answer that out loud, but just think about it. You all have one. Maybe it's more than one. Whenever I'm experiencing difficulty and conflict in my life, you know one of the things that I like to do? I'll go to sleep. Just give me a nap. Because I don't have to what? I won't have to think about it. It's my escape. It's my escape. Some people turn to food. Some people drugs and alcohol. Some people turn to entertain me to death. Let me just watch another Netflix series. Let me binge watch this. Let me just check out. Let me, let me do whatever I can. I mean, let, me, let me get obsessed with my sports team, whatever it is. So, you know, there's all kind of different coping mechanisms, distractions, escapes that we will turn to when we find ourselves in these times of difficulty. And you've got to know yourself enough to know what are those natural ten- tendencies and inclinations that you have, those coping mechanisms that you developed over time probably started as, as a young child when you face stress and worry and anxiety as a child, we begin to develop these unhealthy coping mechanisms. Let me ask you the question, are those things going to get you out of the spiritual dry season? They're not. They might make you feel comfortable. They might make you feel pretend like things you don't have to address what's really going on in your life at that time, but they're not going to get you out of it. So what is it? So th- that's the thing. You've got to know yourself and you've got to understand that These old coping mechanisms are not going to help us and if we neglect our spiritual disciplines, and that's why they're called spiritual disciplines. If we neglect our spiritual discipline, now is a discipline something that is easy to do? It's not. That's why it's a discipline. It's something that you have to work at and commit to and even when you don't what? Feel like doing it, you still do it. That's what a discipline is. And when we neglect those spiritual disciplines, that is when we find ourselves in a big spiritual dry season. So let's talk about how do we thrive? How do we get out of the dry season? Or how do we, how do we endure through it and get to the other side of that? Well, let's look at what happens here in Genesis 26. The next point I have for you today is this. Is that the best way... In my, in my estimation, the best way to overcome a dry season, okay, I'll give you three things. You ready? We need to pray for perseverance. Pray. Now, notice I didn't say persevere. I said do what? Pray for perseverance. We'll get into more of that here in just a second. Number two, dig deeper, dig deeper into your relationship with God. So we begin, we begin by praying, we acknowledge we're in a spiritual dry season, and guess what happens when you're in a spiritual dry season? Do you feel like praying? No. We're going to talk about that, so how do we pray? If you don't feel like praying, how do you pray? We're going to talk about that. We dig deeper into our relationship with God, and then number three, this may seem overly simplistic, but you need to get to work. You need to go and what? Do something. And we'll see why that's so important here in just a minute. Because the devil's workshop is what? Idle time. Right? Idle time. All right, so let's look at this passage as we continue to see how. So you're in a spiritual dry season. 
Maybe you brought it upon yourself. Maybe you're under spiritual attack. Maybe the circumstances in your life are just overwhelming you and God feels a million miles away. How do we overcome that? So let's continue to look in Genesis 26. Look at what it says. The first thing I want you to see in verse 25 is this. It says, Isaac built an altar. So they come to a place called Beersheba and he builds an altar there at Beersheba. And he called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So that, that's, that's very, very key right here in this passage of Scripture. He pitched his tent. He built an altar. And what did he do? He called upon who? He called upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Isaac is praying. He's acknowledging that here I am, God. We faced all of this adversity. We're, we're in the time of famine. We're not going to survive without you taking care of it and blessing us. And he took the time to stop everything that he was doing, to build an altar, to make sure that everybody in his household knew we're going to stop what we're doing. And we're going to first thing we're going to do is what? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. That did not stop Isaac from pursuing the Lord and praying and making that a priority. Listen to what Jesus told us in Luke 18. Jesus was telling uh, his disciples a parable about a woman who goes to a wicked judge, and she's asking the judge to, to act on her behalf, and she will not what? She will not leave him alone. And the moral of the story is finally this evil judge who doesn't really care about this woman at all, finally she, he gave her what she wanted simply because she would not what? She would not quit coming to him. She was wearing him out constantly. Every single day he would have to see this woman. Okay, goodness gracious, lady, are you going to leave me alone? Will you give me what I want? Okay, finally, I'll give you what you want. Just what? Leave me alone. And the, and the moral of the story is Jesus is tr trying to help us understand if a wicked, evil judge will give you what you want if you wear him out, and won't leave him alone, how much more will God give you what you need and what you want when he loves you and he really cares about you? So Jesus told this parable, and listen to what he said. He told them a parable about their need to pray at all times so that they do not lose heart. Has anybody ever just said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to quit? I'm done. Can't do it anymore. You know, I got nothing left to give. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I've done everything that I know to do. I quit, I give up. I've been there before. And you know what? Somehow, some way, I, I know what it is, but, but when you're in that moment and you, you just think, I got nothing left to give and I, I can't go another step, I can't go another day, I can't give any more energy, somehow, some way, you just keep Who's that? That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's just not going to let us give up. But he's telling us to keep praying. And he says in Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit at all times. Pray with, with prayers and petitions to this end. Stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers for all the saints. And so what you need to learn about prayer is that if you don't feel like praying... Now, I'm going to tell you something, and it may sound strange, but if you don't feel like praying, then that's when you need to what? Pray the most. And even when you start praying and you still don't feel like praying, you keep praying until you reach a breakthrough. And I, I can't stand up here and tell you that I do this every time or that I've, I've been this great prayer warrior in my life, but there have been times in my life when I just was distant, I was in a spiritual dry season, God was far away from me. And I said, okay, I don't even feel like praying right now because I don't think they're going any higher than the ceiling. What's the point? And God's like, pray anyway. Just pray. Just start. And then you start praying and you still, your, your heart's not in it. You still don't feel like it. Just keep praying. And eventually what happens? You break through. You, you begin to have this encounter with God. And the presence of God and the peace and the power of God begin to fill you and you begin to experience this amazing relationship again. And that is what will keep you going. That is what will allow you to persevere so that you do not 
quit. So if you're in that spiritual dry season, even when you don't feel like it, pray until you break through. Hey, listen to me. Prayer is hard work. Like real prayer is hard work. It is. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes focus. It's not something. It's not just like, Lord, lay me down now. Lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's not just, that's not prayer, guys. Real prayer takes work. And so it's not, it's a spiritual discipline. But it is so worth it. And it is when we're in this moment of the spiritual dry season, it's the first place we need to turn. Number two, we dig into our spiritual relationship with the Lord. Notice that all the wells had been filled in with dirt, and Isaac sends his servants out, and they start what? They start digging them right back out. Why are they spending so much time and effort and energy digging these wells? What's at the bottom of the well? The water's down there. Hey, guys, when you find yourself in a spiritual dry season, you should strive and you should desire to be close to God, to have a relationship with God, you should desire God like you need water in the desert. That's how deeply you should be desperate for God. And you should be thinking about your relationship with God on such a way as that if I was like Brother Marcus in the desert, exhausted, dehydrated, the only thing in the world at that moment that he was desperate for was what? It was water. I'll do anything to get water. Well, let me ask you something. Will you do anything to get God? Are you that desperate for God? But when you're in a spiritual dry season, you're not desperate for God. You're distant from God. So what do you have to start doing? You got to start digging. You got to dig into that relationship with the Lord. We have to learn how to seek God like we're dying of thirst, like our life depended upon it, because ultimately it does. And as you begin to dig in, or here's a, a popular phrase, you lean into that relationship with God, when you're, even when you don't feel like it, the closer that you draw to God, he begins to show himself to you. And you begin, he rewards that kind of desperation. He rewards that pursuit. He rewards it when we begin to seek him. So you pray for perseverance, and then you dig in, right? You, you start to really... Um, Get active in that relationship with the Lord so that you're, you're studying your Bible even when you don't feel like it. You go and you serve others. You, you, you let those spiritual disciplines lead you in your life. That's when we need to do these things the most. James says it this way. He says, draw near to God and he will what? He will draw near to you. Think about that. Peter says, cast your anxieties on him because he what? He cares for you. So it's in these moments that we need to really draw closer to God. Dig in. Go deeper in that relationship with the Lord. And the last thing, guys, is that you find yourself in a spiritual dry season. You begin praying for perseverance so that you're not going to give up and quit. You get dig into that relationship with the Lord. Draw in closer to God. And then here's something that I think will be very, very helpful for you. You need to find something to do. Get to work. Go do something. Go do something. Find a project. I don't care what it is. How many of you need to clean out your closets this time of year? How many of you got yard work to do this time of year? How many of you see a neighbor's fences down? How many of you see stuff around here at this church that needs, that needs something to be done? How many of you like to get out and, and uh, do some manual labor? Maybe you, need some, uh, maybe you need to cut the grass. I don't know. Whatever it is, find the project Get to work because, again, what happens is, is that when we're in a spiritual dry season, we isolate ourselves, we get depressed, we get discouraged, we get self-focused, and what happens is that's where the enemy will beat us up and wear us out because it is. Idle time is the devil's what? It's the devil's workshop. All that does is give us more and more time to think about our problems, to think about our depression, to think about our anxiety, to, to worry more. So there is a remedy, and it's called go to what? Go to work. Do something with your hands. There's a powerful remedy during a dry season. You see, let me ask you something. Anybody ever dug a well before? Ever tried that? Today they have augers and they have these big machines, but back then they didn't have all that. You know what they had? They had hands and a what? And a shovel. They're digging in, in Israel in rocky soil. You, 
think it was easy to dig a well in those days? No, it was not. So every time they faced discouragement and they faced an attack of the enemy, Isaac said, go and what? Go dig another well. In other words, keep yourself busy, focused on the thing that we want the most, which is water, and go get to work. And there's something about hard work, guys, that is, alleviates our negative thoughts. It alleviates our depression. It alleviates our anxiety. So when we can tackle a project, clean up the house, work in the yard, go help a neighbor, find something to do. There's plenty of work out there to do. But the reason work is so important is that it brings structure to your life. It gives you a sense of accomplishment. It helps you focus. It brings mental clarity. And it gives you probably some exercise. And, I'm, and I am talking pri- primarily about some kind of manual labor. If you're a person that has to work on a computer all day and stare at a screen and do that, you probably need to get outside and go do some what? Go do some work, some manual labor, okay? Because that, that, kind, of, that kind of work can, can be mentally exhausting. And so we see the value here in work. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, just listen to this. He says, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we did not live undisciplined lives among you. Nor did we eat anybody's food without paying for it. Instead, in labor and toil, we worked night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Paul says, for while we were with you, we gave you this command. If anyone is unwilling to work, he will not what? He shall not eat. There's a whole generation of people today that are growing up in a society that believe that I can live off the government. I don't have to work. I don't have to um, participate in society, and I'm going to get rewarded for that. And it's sending a very mixed message because the true value of hard work is missed in so much of this generation because people need to understand that back in the day, if you didn't have a job and you didn't work, guess what? You didn't eat. There's There's a principle there. Work is a good thing. He says, some of you are leading undisciplined lives, accomplishing nothing but being busybodies. Man, that, that defines our society right there, doesn't it? Just a lot of, so, too many busybodies in everybody's business, looking on the social media, just distracted with all this nonsense and where we could just really be focused on doing things, practical things, to just get our hands into some kind of work that will really help overcome this spiritual dry season. He said, begin working quietly. Listen to what he says. We command and urge such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to begin working quietly to earn their own living. And do not grow weary in doing good. So you see here that when you're facing this spiritual dry season, yeah, prayer is going to be important. Digging in, leaning into that relationship with God, drawing closer to God, finding ways to connect with God, that's going to be important. But sometimes, guys, it's just simply getting out and being productive doing something productive, helping somebody else, serving someone else, getting to work. That's something very powerful that can help get us through that spiritual dry season. And here's the last thing I'm going to share with you, and I'm done. Is that when we thirst after righteousness, Jesus tells us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They will be filled. They will be satisfied. When we thirst after righteousness, we will be satisfied and blessed in Christ who is the living water. You see, just like Isaac and his household were desperate for water and they were willing to do anything they had to do to dig to get to that source, Jesus is telling us that we should be just as desperate for him. That we should be so hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And if we are thirsty for the right things, this is what he's telling you and me. If we're thirsty for the right things, you will be what? Satisfied. The problem is, is that many of us are hungry and thirsty for the what? Wrong things. Worldly things. And we chase after those pleasures of this world And guess what? They will give you pleasure for a moment, but you wake up and you feel what? 
empty the next day. That's the lesson of this, this whole passage. There is something satisfying about the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So remember what I said earlier, and I'm almost done, but just stay with me. Remember what I said earlier, is that when we allow sin into our lives, or we compromise, or we begin to indulge in the flesh, or we begin to give in to temptation, it's like taking a bucket of dirt and pouring it and filling in that well that's where. The Holy Spirit is the well of living water that lives where? Within us, right? Some of us right now, the reason you feel distant from God, the reason you don't feel close to God is because you've got too much dirt in your heart. You've got dirt in your heart. And all that dirt is quenching the spirit of life. All that dirt is quenching the Holy Spirit in you. So I think that there's something that we all probably need to do today is that we need to get honest with God, ask Him what are those areas of our life that are not pleasing to Him, sinful in our life, the, the filth, the dirt that we've allowed into our hearts, and how do you get rid of the dirt? It's a legitimate question, right? If you don't want the dirt in your heart anymore so that you can feel the living water and the Spirit of God in you again, how do you get rid of the dirt? Well, there is a way to do that. It's simple. Number one, confess it. Not so God will find out what you're doing. He already, he already knows. Why does he want you to confess it? He just wants you to be humble and agree with him. Lord, I've been wrong. I've done this. It's not good. I'm sorry. Confess it. Number two, repent. What does it mean to repent? Okay, I know this stuff in my life is not good. Lord, I agree with you. It's not good. I'm confessing it before you, and then I'm going to go back and do the very same thing. Is that repentance? No, it's not. You say, Lord, I confess it. I don't want it in my life anymore, and, and I'm asking you, Lord, to help me to turn away from this sin and to turn back to you and get this out of my life completely. I don't do it anymore. I distance myself from that. That's what repentance is. a change of mind that leads to a change in behavior. So we confess it, we repent of it, and then we trust God. That's how you get the what? What's in your heart? Dirt. That's how you get the dirt, the sin, out of your heart. So as our praise team comes up, is I'm going to show you one more last thing in this passage that I think is really, really important, and then we're going to, we're going to sing this last song today. But when Isaac and his family, when they finally get to the place where they can settle in, they find fresh water, they dig a well, they, they settle in a place called Beersheba. Beersheba. You say, well, well what's, that, what's that all about? Well, the word Beersheba means something. It means the well of seven. You ever heard of Shabbat or Shabua? It's a Hebrew word. It means the seventh day is the Sabbath or the Shabbat. Beersheba, it's got that root word Shabbat in it, or Shabbat, and it means seven. Bear means well. It's the well of seven. Now, the number seven in Scripture is interesting because number seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. So when they settled there at Beersheba, and they dug a well and found water, and they praised God and built an altar to the Lord. You see, guys, they had experienced the presence, the completion, the satisfaction of being near to God. They had gotten through. They had broken through the famine and the spiritual dry season and the drought that was in their land, and they were all there praising God together because they had finally arrived to this place called Beersheba, which was this well of completion this well of refreshing, this well of rest. Repent then and turn back so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who has been appointed for you. Guys, if you're here today and you're in a spiritual dry season, you've been going through that drought, I hope and pray that this message has given you a, an approach, has given you a strategy to not just survive. God doesn't want us to just survive. What does he want? 
He wants us to thrive. And we thrive when we're near to him. We thrive when his presence is full. We thrive when we are close to God. We thrive when we're in walking in obedience to the Lord. We thrive when we have this um, intimacy with God, this, this deep intimacy in our relationship with the Lord. And so as we go, I'm just going to ask you right now, it's very, very simple, but draw near to God and you can rediscover his refreshing, life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit within you. Draw near to God. Maybe that needs to start right now. Because if you're not careful, you could leave here today, go right back out that door, get in your car, go home, and start doing the same old coping mechanisms that you've always done, and you're going to get nowhere. So in order for us to break through, something might have to change. That's between you and the Lord today, and I hope and pray that you will act, genuinely seek and ask him right now. Lord, what is it in my life? What dirt am I allowing in my life that's quenching your spirit in me so that I don't experience your joy, your peace, your presence, your love, your blessing? Let's get that out. Let's get that out of our hearts and our lives today. So would you pray with me as we get ready to sing one more song? Father, I just, I thank you for this word, this message today that many of us, Lord, may be stale in our relationship with you. Maybe we're experiencing this dry season. And I just hope and pray, Lord, that this message has been an encouragement that we don't have to stay there, Lord. We don't have to, to give in to that dry season. But, Father, we can truly experience a refreshing, a revival, a, an awakening, Lord. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would allow all of us here today, Lord, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, I know that all of us want to draw closer. All of us want to feel your presence. All of us want to experience the blessing of spiritual renewal. And I pray, Lord, that all of us today would, would seek you right now, wherever we are, and that you would have your way with us, Lord. Forgive us of our sin, Lord. We confess our sin before you, and we ask you, Lord, your refreshing presence to come into our life today, Lord, so that we can thrive in this world, that we can thrive through the tough times through the dry seasons, and it will be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.